All right. Hello, everyone. We are back for our third week of the 22-Minute Walk podcast, and we are here with Jim Johnson, who kindly wrote some great questions and great suggestions for us to think about this week. So, Jim, do you want to give a little introduction of yourself and what you do and where you live? Yeah, sure. Hey, I'm class of 2021 Blackjack Bandits and uh, thrilled to be a part of this opportunity. As I shared this week in the writing, it's been a really great exercise to let go through the first week and just really be empty walking. That That's nice with how busy we all are. And then uh, to step it forward and think a lot about self uh, with Andy's reflections. I've really enjoyed that. And that means a lot with what I do. I'm in adult learning for Microsoft. I have a background in the in the military um, and really proud of that and the leadership journey that happened there. And I've always enjoyed being in this realm of, of development and learning. And I thought I always had to be a manager to do those things. And I was a manager for a lot of my time in my career, but uh, about three or four years ago, just before I joined Leadership Wyoming, I had the opportunity to join a learning and development team and do some do some work with them and found I could have this really great um, meaning uh, in my work through developing others. And I didn't have to be in charge of them either. And so there's good techniques, I think, on both sides of the house there in being the direct manager, but also in supporting somebody's development. And so I get to do that right now at, at Microsoft globally supporting the, the data centers. I bet you're uh, many people listening are probably envious of like, oh, to be a leader without managing people sounds lovely. <laughs> well, except for that whole influence without authority bit, I run a lot of <laughs> optional things. So, you yeah. know, you have to really show value or, or mm -hmm. use your persuasion. And that's good. It's just made me sharper in what I do to have to convince without that authority and say, you have to be here. No, I want the people who want to be there because they learn best because there's a little bit of buy-in, right? That's awesome. Yeah, I've, I've been thinking a lot about hearing the the sounds of our surroundings and, and thinking about yeah. what notes will harmonize with what's happening. And this 22 minute walk was sort of just a luck of the draw. It seemed like something that some people might enjoy doing. You mentioned you've been doing it every week. So how has it been for you so far? What reflections have you had? Yeah, you know, it wouldn't be uh, we're talking about without the wind jokes, because that's the the notes I hear through my ears as I'm walking around. It is cold. Next time, let's pick a different month, you know, uh, but just joking around a little. But I've enjoyed it because because you really are just in an environment and you're feeling emotions and it might be cold at first and then you, your mind might calm. And then I've, I've kind of shared, uh, as I was sharing, I, a little bit of a, a small sense of accomplishment, but just enough. Like I, we just did a thing. I don't normally walk in my neighborhood. I don't look in my neighbor's yard or fence or trees or house. Like I just drive by. And so this has been a great exercise. Just be aware of my surroundings and be in my own mind. That's That's been really rewarding. Um, and then with the intentions, I think that that's the second step of maturity in this mindfulness practice is, okay, first we work on controlling our mind and, and having some calm, but then it's having an intention about what we're doing with our mind, um, whether it's focusing on self last week or, or maybe this week you're going to consider um, thriving in those, those activities you do or the people around you that help you thrive or maybe even how you help others thrive. Awesome. I love that. And we're going to talk a little bit more about thriving as we get into this. Um, I, I was laughing last week. I got several text messages from people in really snowy communities. You know, it dumped mm. a couple feet of snow around Wyoming. And a few people sent messages that were like, I was out shoveling for 22 minutes. Does that count? Or I was driving <laughs> a tractor around my property, you know, pulling a grate for two hours. Does that count? And I always, jokingly, I told them, no, it doesn't count. Like you have to do, you have to do it separate. But what I like about those reflections is people are thinking 
could I spend this time in reflection? Could I spend this time in silence and gratitude and focus? And I think that small mindset shift from just go, go, go to could I spend this time to benefit myself is a really cool thing. Um, so sounds like you've made the most of that in your world as well. And this week we have the Arctic cold coming in temperatures with wind chill in the negative thirties, forties, fifties predicted. Um, so let's just start by talking about how do you, how do you do hard things? How do you build up the tolerance and the resiliency to say, I set this goal to do a walk every week and now it's negative 30 degrees and I'm going to figure out how to either change the conditions, maybe do it inside, um, or I'm going to bundle up and I'm going to do it. So from your career in military and now leadership development, what are your thoughts on resiliency and resilient people? Uh, what a great tie-in, especially for this time of year. And please be safe this week, everybody, as you're finding the right method for you. There's going to be some serious conditions. And, um, you know, I appreciate what Andy was sharing last week about even small steps. And I think you were highlighting it. And where I heard about that was James Clear's Atomic Habits book, where he talked about just even 1% better. And he has this great story. I love the development books for the stories they have, right? So there's this great story of the, the French national cycling team and how they, they weren't doing good for a lot of years. But then they said, we'll just be 1% better tomorrow and 1% better the next day and 1%. And that worked. And then they had some sort of uh, miracle run and decade of winning through small improvements. I've learned a lot of resiliency through um, a friend of mine, Adam, who got into positive psychology over the last few years. And there's very specific scientific categories uh, called resiliency protective factors. And um, they, they are things you can develop. You can develop and grow your resiliency. It's things like connection, it's positive institutions. Uh, you could have resilience inherently in your biology. Some may not. So you may need to look to other areas. Self-awareness, self-regulation, optimism is a resilience protective factor. Um, and so you can look at these things. And I think connections is my great push in this, this recent time. Hey, I have 400 some other peers, classmates, friends, soon to be friends who are doing this challenge too. And who am I to not go out for just 22 minutes and, and do my walk, no matter what the wind is like and the weather is like. And so for me, I, I'm relying on that kind of what I view as a connection. I have a community and I get to hear about that and we get to share that experience with each other. And that encourages me to step forward in that. Thanks for sharing. I really like that idea, resiliency protective factors. Um, I think sometimes it feels like whatever road we're on, we're just on it. If it's a good mm. road, we're on it. If it's a bad road, we're just like, oh, there's a lot of mm. potholes on this road and I'm here. But to me, that resiliency protective factors means if you're not on the road you wanna be on sort of making some adjustments or inviting other people or mindsets in to like yeah. improve the quality of the road that you're traveling on. And so maybe talk to me about a time that you've done that or a time you've seen other people do that and how do you kind of have the wherewithal to take action when life is coming at you too fast or is challenging in a lot of different ways? I I, two things come to mind as you describe that question. I think it's the people you surround, your with, surround yourself with, which is so important, and maybe even institutions that you're engaged with. So I'll start with, with people you surround you with. You know, there's this, this idea of um, you are the summation of the five or six people closest to you, right? And so if you are walking this week and you reflect on who are those around you when you're thriving, are they the people closest to you? Are you spending a lot of time with them? Maybe reprioritize 
the people you are spending time with, with the, this class of person who's enabling your, your thriving and, and um, producing that joy or that experience in your life that's keeping you on the, um, uh, the positive side or the uh, optimistic side. And I think that uh, maybe we've lost a little bit of, of joining institutions uh, and what that does. And I'm thinking of that from a servant uh, mindset or a service mindset, maybe even in the gratitude bucket type of arena. So it could be a community service organization you serve on, a nonprofit board. There's a lot of positive emotion and resilience built through serving the needs of others. And that's a big part of, of my calling and part of my mission statement. Uh, uh, for me and that was developed through Leadership Wyoming was there has to be a service component. Otherwise, I feel just a little bit empty. So I think surrounding yourself by the right people, um, people that, that can encourage you and support you in your journey. And, um, and, and if you don't have some versions of institutions, whether it's a religious institution or a nonprofit organization or a service club of any kind, um, maybe look to do something like that. And it might reset your mindset if you're in a rut. That's so interesting to think about because we know the general trends and in those institutions is all in a downward trajectory of mm. less people joining mm. churches, clubs, organizations. And I think there's this idea it can come from online connection or virtual connection, but then there's this emptiness that a lot of people are feeling. And I can't help but think there's a, a relation to those pieces. Well, I think we're learning in this hybrid work, remote work world, human connection is so important. There are a lot of studies going on. There'll be a lot of research come out of this that'll indicate best practices of the future. We've learned a lot. I think of humans, we've enjoyed that. I'm, I am one of these remote workers. I've enjoyed, hey, I don't have to go have the water cooler conversation. I don't have to go to this meeting or walk in the hallway or I don't have to dress a certain way. You know, I can do my Zoom casual attire like I'm doing today and I'm happy. I'm doing great. Right. But going to the office is different. And, and as much as maybe I don't need as as much human connection, I still need some. I'm, I, I am personally experiencing losing the tightness of bonds with my own team that I work with, six or seven of us that are, we, we work together for years, but if I don't get to see that person and have a dinner or maybe a beer with them one, once or twice a year, I, I've really just lost connection. And I think what we're going to find through all this is uh, yet you can be this remote person or hybrid person so long as there are a few intentional engagements throughout the year. That's my guess. I hope the research supports that because I enjoy getting out and seeing people occasionally. And I think it's really healthy to, to have that dynamic. And as, as that goes with institutions, we're fortunate in, in Wyoming, kind of being this, you know, the community with long roads type of thing where um, go engage that classmate of yours. Go go um, just when you drive through, do say something in the WhatsApp thread because people are willing to meet up and have breakfast or lunch or just, just say hi. Do those things. Keep those connections high. That's a great suggestion. I love it. Um, and maybe kind of leads us into this thriving topic that you wrote about mm. in your prompt. And so thinking about those times in our life that we feel like we're firing on all cylinders and life feels purposeful and meaningful and yeah. satisfying. Um, and I think we can all imagine a few of those moments in our life, but it can feel hard for that to be the status quo or for that to feel like the norm. And so what has your own journey been of how to kind of create the right formula to get to that place of thriving and then maintain it so that it's not just a, you know, one day or one specific yeah. position. What is your <clears throat> suggestion? Yeah, good, good questions. I think I'll just kind of walk through a story of where 
of my experiences and we'll see where it goes. And that's, I was in the military. I always wanted to be in the military because my dad was in the military and grandpa was in, and I just wanted to do that. I wanted to do stuff like, like my father, we have a great relationship and bond. And, um, but I got to do my own little bit of the military. He flew and I got to do it work and that was great, but such a high purpose organization. When you're in, there's mottos and team names and mission statements and visions for every single unit and chunk of team across. And as that really builds some camaraderie and you do tough things together, whether it's cold or hard or dangerous, and you bond just so much quicker. You have such a common experience. So I would argue um, I had peak, absolute peak meaning in, in work. Uh, there and then uh, with with the ongoing wars and things, I I chose to prioritize my family and leave the military and and uh, find other work. And I had really a really down year, um, uh, and that was tough. And I think a lot of veterans experience this, but anybody can experience that where you go from a high meaning environment to a low meaning. I joined the civilian world. I thought, it, for example, that money might be a thing that could fill. I'm going to go pursue a career, make all this money, and. I ended up in automotive manufacturing. And you might say, hold on a second, Jim, you were an IT guy in the military. And what do you mean you're in a factory now? And why automotive? I mean, I'm a, I always joke, I'm a soft-handed IT guy. That's not my world, right? I'm not handy in that way. And so I, I got in there and, and what I lied to myself about was, well, I'll find meaning in this career because I'll earn money and I'll be able to have this great career and I can be a general manager or something, yada, yada. I mean, I can lead a team so I can lead a factory. That's fine. But what took me six months to a year was, no, it wasn't fulfilling. Yes, I could make 185 widgets an hour and inspire this team to do that, but I, it wasn't meaningful and doing that day in and day out. And so I guess I saw this journey of high meaning to no meaning or little meaning to me and knew I had to make a change. And so in my experimentation, I just said, I have to get back into technology no matter where it is. And fortunately, I was able to come back to Wyoming and joined the data center at Microsoft. And I had never been in a data center. I mean, I understand computers, but I hadn't been there. So that was new, but that presented a challenge. And I think maybe that's an area, if you are stuck, is a new challenge can inspire or jumpstart you again. And so, but but make it associated with things you are passionate about. Um, and that can that can maybe help jumpstart you out of a rut in there. And then, and it took off. And then, like I shared at the beginning of this interview, I found a place where, wait, I didn't have to be the manager to have those same feelings of meaning, inspiring people or helping to develop them or help them in their own career journey in whatever way I could. I could do that as an individual contributor, writing programs or delivering uh, facilitations and sharing ideas uh, for various groups of people on different topics. And that inspires them. And I have great meaning out of that. And that's been a great journey to go through and a story I hope that would help others. If you're in that rut, look for a challenge, maybe change it a little bit, maybe not too much, but in your areas of passion. And that might be the way that can help break you free. Thanks for sharing that. And we're glad that it, that course led you back to Wyoming. You mentioned that people who are not thriving, like self-reported are not thriving, they're mm -hmm. more likely to be uh, upset, angry, frustrated, yeah. burnout, all these negative things that we associate with the workplace. And so I was thinking of thriving as this kind of like suit that you can put on. And when you're wearing it, things can just bounce off of you. You know, somebody makes a comment and it doesn't get to you. It just kind of bounces off and you go on with your day. And when you're not thriving, that stuff just like sticks to you. Like, well, they yeah. said this and I didn't get recognized for this. And now I'm feeling this. And, and there's such a difference in what you have the capacity to absorb versus reflect. 
And so maybe kind of going back to those resiliency protective factors or other thoughts you have, how, how does one kind of put on that thriving protection of armor to, yeah. to be in that place? Okay, again, the science shows, again, I mean, maybe I'm not the best. I'm not trained. I don't have a degree in positive psychology, but I've been reading a lot and partnering with folks who do this. And I love all the articles that come out about this. But, you know, you have this state of languishing, which is negative 10 to zero, you could say, if you're looking at this chart where that's that's where you need clinical help. And if you need that, go get that. Okay, go get the clinical psychology help to get you to at least a neutral state. But we want to operate in thriving. If you're there, great. Let's not just stop at zero. Let's get you to a plus 10 in thriving. And and um, resiliency can be trained and it can be practiced. You don't have to be in the military and, and crawling through mud puddles to do it. It could be a backpacking trip on the weekend. There's a little bit of challenge there. Knowles was a great experience for me. Shout out to those folks and a lot of folks who've done that. Just being in the wilderness is a little bit different environment that can reset you. This 22-minute walk is a similar example of a reset. Again, I don't normally walk. I don't normally walk around my neighborhood. And it's been a great kind of reset in that. But then I would say in training it, I think I want to draw folks to character strengths. And we had this great opportunity with the Hogan assessment in, in my class and beyond, which is a really thorough analysis of traits and, and skills and passions. And I think an, another tool that can be used that you can strengthen is look at your character strengths, go take a free survey. I think it's via.org, via characterstrengths.org. And, and it will highlight the areas you operate best in. And this is across millions of surveys. So it's a really refined science. It's not, don't, don't think of it as just like a horoscope or a personality test. It's a little more mature than that. And if you do something like this and you find that you're not operating in your strengths, you need to find ways to operate in your strengths. Uh, for example, I, I have like an honesty trait as one of my high ones. And that just means that I, I can't I can't operate in a gray area very well. If we were doing a business that has a little bit of oh shady or activity, that doesn't it doesn't work for me. Like I I will raise my hand and be like this. I can't do this. That's not right. We got we got to be doing things this way. Like that's just one. And I know I can't operate in a team that you know for example would would give bribes or something. Like that. It just wouldn't work for me. Um, and then there's other other areas uh, of strength. Judgment is one of mine, and leadership um, um, those sorts of things. But you might have something like appreciation of, of beauty or excellence. And so for you to, to experience uh, your strengths and operate in them, it might mean you need to go to museums and appreciate art or walk outside and look at the mountains and just say, this is beautiful. I love this and work that into your routine. I think that's the, another way to strengthen. So discover what those strengths are. If you don't already know, find ways to operate in them. And that's a way to improve. Thanks for sharing that. That's great. And then fun shout out to the Hogan, which we really enjoyed using with Leadership Wyoming. And they have a segment on values, which is that same mm. exact idea of what are the things that drive you and what are the things you bring to a team? Yeah. Um, and so maybe as we're, we're going to close out here in just a few minutes, but I'd love to hear, since you do work with teams and you talked about thriving and helping others get to that point of thriving, what would you recommend for people who are managers and who are influential in setting team culture and development opportunities, how do you help them to see ways to bump others in that kind of scale that you talked about into a place of thriving? Okay, this is great. A couple ideas, and it's going to bounce around a lot of topics I think that people kind of already know or have been hearing about um, um, in, in this realm. 
uh, it's not just engagement. Engagement is is a piece of the pie, but I think we focus too much on just engaging. Well, people need rest breaks too. They need separation, individual thought as well. So it's not always engagement. I think it's a lot about the why. So I'd go back to meaning a little bit more. Um, if you're inspiring a team or if you're a manager or influencing an organization, I think it's giving the why a lot. And um, uh, you know, revert back to Simon Sinek's talks in his book. He does a great job explaining and using the stories behind that, but but give a why. And so in my work, we work in a data center and your job in the data center, if you are a technician, is just to replace hard drives day in and day out or to install new gear or new wires. And that can get a little monotonous, much like my automotive factory experience. And you could say, well, what's the point of this? I, I don't ever see people. I'm in this mechanical building. It's hard for me. So we have to give the why. And when we give a why to inspire a, a team member like that it is, hey, do you know that when you replace this hard drive, you're providing services for somebody? And that service could look like, I don't know, the health record management system for the state of Texas. And, and did you know that when a storm happens and we keep our services up, people can get the right medical care they need because the records are available and we didn't have an outage in our service. And that's a real story. That's something that has happened. And it, it, it can really drive meaning for that employee. It could be more fun too, a little less, less serious. It could just be that, hey, we host Netflix or World Cup soccer streaming across our platform and we want to enjoy every minute live of that game. Great. You can provide that experience by maintaining high availability of your system in a data center. So we try to find the why a lot and inspire that. And then it's a little bit of culture building, because if you're saying, how do we extend it to not just that one person that you talk to? Because that's hard to scale one to one, motivate, just like what coaches do. Uh, so how do we build a culture? And we're focusing on a learn it all culture instead of a know it all culture. And that just means you're willing to keep trying. You're willing to learn. And much like Danny Dale's um, share on growth mindset, it's that if you experience a setback, you don't just stop or freeze or give up. You reflect on what happened, where you could maybe do better or you whatever the aspect of learning is. But I would tell you to go one step further and share that with somebody. Hey, you know what? I messed up in this or I had a little stumble here. But you know what I learned is if you do this this way, it makes this result. And wow, what an impact. So then you're not only learning, but you're sharing learning with others. And uh, I think that's the inspirational learn it all culture you could build that can inspire a whole team beyond just those you interact with to succeed. I love that. A learn it all culture. That's fantastic. And I think that's so interesting to think of it on the individual level, like you mentioned, one person doing one job, but also the ability to scale in a culture of what are those overlapping areas that we want people to buy into and we want to feed them that space to and create that thriving culture. I think sometimes it's hard for people. We only see the world through our lens of values and experiences. Mm -hmm. So it's yeah. easy to think that everyone has that same set of values, but somebody who values beauty is equally, you know, they value beauty just as much as somebody else might value security or somebody else might value money. And there's not better or worse. It's just a matter of finding ways to fuel what motivates them and the right fit with the culture. Um, Let me offer one other story as we close. I, a lot of my identities around being a, a family man and a father of four young children, and I'm going to tie this to leadership, I promise, but it's, it's, it, and I would argue it's situational leadership, but I have a firstborn daughter who's a very stereotypical rule follower. I feel like she's a lot like me and in, in her responsibility and maturity, and it's great. And then I, I have a second daughter who is 
for my perspective, just wild, like and creative and artistic and that, but that's not me. That wasn't ever me. And she is outgoing and needs to do something different. And so she needs a different leadership style than my older daughter. Right. And I, you know, parents know this and you can apply this in work. You have different teammates. So you have to dig a little deeper, know a little bit about your, your people, your family or your people and, and put them in situations they can thrive. And so when it's time for cleanliness and tidiness, I tell my eldest child, Hey, let's get to work. Let's clean the house. Uh, but I maybe apply the, the, Hey, it's time to wrap presents and, and decorate, or what's the gift idea for somebody. I'll go to the, the other child and she might help inspire and, and get the right ideas, uh, be a little more creative. And so think of that as situational leadership and how you can apply uh, what you know to people to draw out the best in them. I love that because I think it's easy for us to see with our kids. Of course, we want them to be successful and satisfied and feel good about themselves, but we mm -hmm. should also feel we should consider those opportunities for our employees of what's an opportunity I can give this employee that they can knock it out of the park and we can all celebrate that versus, oh, they're never good at writing reports. So I'm going to stick them on report duty for six mm -hmm. months just to prove a point. Um, I, and that's I enabling really like the that. thriving, right? You've given yeah. an opportunity for engagement, but also purpose and meaning. Well, Jim, thank you. It's been so yeah. fun chatting and I love all the stories and the resources and suggestions and just thanks for helping spur others along on this 22 minute walk challenge. Thank you, Mandy. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Enjoy the time with uh, friends and family this holiday season. Thanks all. We'll see you next week for one more walk. The 22-Minute Leadership Wyoming podcast series is brought to you by Hilltop Bank in Central Wyoming. Thank you for your support.